how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Joanna Miles is an accomplished agent in the dance music industry, in addition to being a personal trainer. Hailing from the UK, now based in Berlin, she is the founder of the Six Zero Experiment, which focuses on connecting dance music professionals with a community of like-minded individuals for 60 days of abstinence from drugs and alcohol. This is holistic, peer-supported approach that is tailored to help those working in an industry that is high risk for drug and alcohol use disorders and involves looking at both physical, mental, spiritual and emotional aspects of our relationship with substances to help us grow towards health and freedom. Lou, what did you think of that conversation? Oh my God, it was like effervescent. Like her joy at being alive and being sober was so contagious. It made me super grateful to kind of remember how different my life got. Cause you know, like 15 years of like, this is life, you know, but it's nice to kind of be in contact with that, like vibrant new energy of like, what a precious gift this is. Yeah. And she talks a lot about magic, like, and I felt it was so nice because it just, she kept saying, oh, this sounds cheesy or whatever. And I just didn't get that at all. It was just like straight authenticity. Like, she was plugged into it. She's living it. And she's a great advocate for, for sobriety. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, full disclosure, I used to be quite judgmental of like outside of 12 step approaches to recovery. And this was such a good testament for this idea of like, that's not necessarily one size fits all system. And to have a place for people, especially within a high risk industry, who might not be ready to kind of say like, I hit bottom and I want to be sober forever because I'm an alcoholic. Like they might not even be alcoholics or addicts, but just ready to kind of see what 60 days of abstinence looks like or feels like, like what an incredible thing. Like, it's so nice that she's kind of putting that into the world. A hundred percent and industry specific as well, you know, or not just people in the industry, the ravers too. Cause I think that's really Lovely helpful. Ravers. We're talking about <laughs> the ravers this echo chamber and it's important to hear from other people like-minded people who you know um you know we talked a lot about like the ladder drinking culture in the UK and you know how that felt like such great armor and you know and then when that stops working what does that look like and how can I hang on to my integrity and she has so much it's like you said effervescent like a baraka <laughs> away. Yes, this is our spiritual baraka. I hope we everybody enjoys this awesome conversation with such a a bright and luminous person as Joanna. Hello, Joanna. How are you? Hello. Yes, I'm good, thank you. Really good. Little bit tired, but I think that's probably everyone's standard answer, is it not? Is it everybody always is it, tired? Yeah. Is it yeah. tired or manic? Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally feel you. I'm always just like, when is the next opportunity for a nap? Yeah, I actually thought about having one. Like, so I had a personal training client who I trained here, 
And then they left at like 10 past five and I was like, should I chance a nap? Like, is it worth it? Should I just do like a bit of preparation, like have a nap? And then I ate two chocolate bars instead. So I feel like, you know, balance, balance, balance. It's a a sort of nap, but it's like a kind of love on yourself thing. Internal hug, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And where are you? I am in Berlin in my living room. Um, It's The sun is actually shining today. I live in a lovely place in Berlin called Prince Lauerberg, which is, I always, it's so fancy. Um, it is really fancy yeah and uh yes we're here and I have a children's playground opposite my house so it's always super noisy so if you hear any screaming screaming. children (laughs) it's not me they're not mine it's not the rave they're not yeah they're not in the bedroom (laughs) they're they're outside it's not it's not my fault (laughs) it's quite a sexy little brunch spot that isn't it it's like a real so good like Brunch. That's what I remember. We got dragged up there for some brunch, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is where all the yeah, the, the yummy mummies are living." Yeah. So when so when when me and my husband first moved to Berlin, we moved just like a few roads over, and we moved here, and we were like, "Oh God, there's so many yummy mummies and like kindergartens and stuff." And we were like, "Oh, we don't want to live here. We want to live where all the cool kids live." So then we moved to Neukölln, which is like where all the cool kids live and then after a year we were like oh get us back to Prince take us back where are the expensive push chairs yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. we did uh, we did Prince Albert Neukölln basically next door to Bergheim and we're like no <laughs> dangerous better back to yeah. Prince Albert and it works well for us yeah. here we're happy, we're happy. Lush. My- Lush and how long have you been in Berlin um, almost five years now actually um, which you and what brought you there uh, uh God, this is, I always say, women, I'm just taking my earrings out, excuse me, because I keep hitting the microphone. Yeah. Um, I yes, always I say work, uh, London got too expensive, but realistically, I didn't want to grow up. And I did not, me and my husband had been together 10 years, so we moved over here when I'd been with him five, and I did not want to face up to the prospect of having kids. Like, I was like, oh, God, kids, that's so scary. And if I'm really super honest, I wanted to rave my ass off and I wanted to go <laughs> to Bergheim for 20 hours at the weekend and not have to go to my job on a Monday morning. I didn't want to have to um, just face up to responsibilities, basically. So I was like, yeah, let's move to Berlin. That'll be great. Obviously, being a DJ agent, it does help being over here. But I mean, I book my gigs worldwide, so it, it's neither here nor there, really. Um so yeah, really, so I could rave, if I'm totally honest, and take loads of drugs and drink loads and, and not be told off and not judged for it, which that happens over here, you know, nobody cares. In fact, it's encouraged. So um, mm, you but you are abstinent today, right? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So my my first year in Berlin, I was <laughs> absolutely not. And <laughs> that was my demise. And that was by the time I'd been in Berlin Berlin a year, I was like, like, I'm done. I can't keep this up. Like I was physically yeah. ill. My body was sending me so many signals like stop, stop, stop. Um, mentally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally done. Um, but I can't blame it on Berlin. It's totally my own fault. But it gives you, it basically just like red rag to a ball. You know, clubs open on Friday, yeah. shut on Monday, do whatever you like. Like you can order drugs easier than you can go and get paracetamol. Like it's just, Yeah. I mean, it's crazy too, because I do think that like the UK has definitely has like a binging culture in Mm -hmm. terms of drugs and alcohol. And I'm not sure like where the, where the Germans sit on that like Mm. culture map of, of 
what, um, how substance abuse issues or alcoholism like presents, mm-hmm. you know, but do you feel like it's culturally different in, yeah. in Berlin or yeah. what's that, what's that like? Like, so in London, uh, most clubs will shut 6am, 8am and it's generally like back to someone's house, maybe after parties. You don't really get the after party culture here. You know, like there's, oh, because, really? because the clubs are just open all the time. Clubs open. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to, anywhere. exactly. So if you want to take drugs and you want to carry on drinking, you stay in the club. And when you're done, you go home. Um, unless you have lots of English friends like I do. And then, then it's <laughs> have an after party. But, um, but what that means is that you just stay out and you stay out and you stay out. And like, so speed's a big thing over here. Um, whereas it's not, that's not, it's not a big thing back in the UK at all, but you can buy yeah. it for like three euro a gram. So it's, and, and then, yeah, super dangerous. Um, luckily it was never my drug of choice. Um, uh, but you know, people use it as like a, to function and not only when they're in the clubs, but then all week as well, because obviously you've been out for two nights or whatever. So, um, I would say it's, it's kind of, is it more dangerous than binging? I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't know. I think they both have both very dangerous, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think yeah. there's no moderation on either, on either level. Um, but over here, like when I've told people I'm not drinking, I don't take drugs. There's always a, why? Like, why would you bother? Like, what's huh. the fun in that? You know? And it's like, okay, this is, and, but then they're amazing at non-alcoholic drinks like and non-alcoholic beers. There are so many. Loves the club mate. <laughs> yeah. And like alcohol fry is massive, you know. Um, but back in the UK, if you go to a what alcohol oh, fry? Alcohol, alcohol fry is alcohol free, but in the German. Oh yeah. Fry. yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to show off with my limited German here. Um but um, but you know if you go to a club in the UK, they won't necessarily have like four types of non-alcoholic beer, but they do over here. But once again, I think that's more of like a uh, a rave longevity thing. You know, people want to rave longer, and they know that getting pissed is not necessarily conducive to raving longer. So you know, you want to have a drink, but not get drunk. But anyway, so yeah, two very huh. different cultures, but still problematic in their own ways for sure. It's in- really interesting, isn't it? Because I, when I moved, I moved from the UK. Uh, nearly 10 years ago to France and I ended up getting sober when I moved here but like you going to Berlin Mm -hmm. and I it was part of it was just like culturally what I was used to doing in the UK was not okay in Paris France or just France in general like my attitude to just being like yeah this is what you do you stay up then you after party and Mm -hmm. blah 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 blah. like just being on that kind of treadmill Mm -hmm of destruction was so normalized and then you take yourself out of a situation where people are like oh we're actually like culturally considering what our movement looks like at the weekend for clubbing and stuff like that you're just like what this is way more thought than I've ever given it (laughs) and it really like shifted things for Mm -hmm. me like it was one of the big um catalysts am I getting sober Mm -hmm. nice I mean the change of environment is always good for for getting sober. Yeah, but I just didn't realise the perspective thing because mm-hmm. I came thinking, like yourself, like if I come to a different country, um, which is known for wine, mm-hmm. then <laughs> clearly I'm going to do that. And like, you know, there's a whole sober clubbing movement in Berlin, isn't there, that is really like out there mm-hmm. and people are loving it. So I think it's, yeah, 
I just think sometimes we're limited by our own cultural oh, for sure. experience. Sure. But don't you also think that we maybe we could be limited by our habits as well? Like I, I often found, you know, if you don't want to look for the sober, then you wouldn't go looking for it. You know, you're like, oh, well, I like yeah. my drinking and my drug taking. So I'm not going to see, seek out anything. Um, totally. Where, you know, you just totally. blinkered through your <laughs> own like, I don't, this is what I want. And this is, you know, the, this is the drink and the drugs keeping you in this little bit. But I mean, yeah, yeah maybe some like, ignore, like, yeah, ignore, like, ignore, ignore, what? ignore what? any what? kind what? of glory daybreaker. No, no, no. But yeah. Oh, this is Yes. And it's funny when I got <laughs> sober, I didn't bump in for, for ages. I didn't bump into anybody and I was still kind of going out in the same areas a bit, but I didn't bump into anybody that I had been using and drinking with like I was. And it was so weird to me. I was like, this must be an energy thing as mm. well, because Paris is relatively small. And if you're still kind of in the similar gassy or neighborhood or whatever, I'm just like, oh my God, that's mental that you just shift your perspective. And actually like, it's like the whole world is a little adjustment. Yeah. Not that I'm that self-centered to think that the world does a whole adjustment, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like you stop putting out that energy of like destruction. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I was always like in Berlin, I was like, well, if you don't, like when I meet people that aren't into techno and aren't into house and aren't taking drugs, I'm like, what do you do in Berlin? Like, what? <laughs> like, why are you here? Yeah. Like, why don't you yeah, go I somewhere do struggle. else? Yeah. yeah, it's like, <laughs> what is Berlin? Like since the pandemic's happened and there's no clubs and there's no no raves, I'm like, why would you move here? Like, why, why would, you know, there's, there's, Berlin is like, obviously culturally, they've loads of history and stuff, but you think like, there's so many other amazing cities in Europe that have great food and great weather. And why would you come here? But I mean, I, I have a love hate relationship with Berlin, so you can't get me started right. on that one. That's a whole other subject. <laughs> I mean, perhaps in that vein, like, can you tell us about your history in the dance music industry? Like how mm. that kind of, like, led you there and, and mm. uh, eventually helped you start six zero. Yeah. Um, such a long story, but I, I guess that's what we're here for. Um, long form podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, before I worked in music, uh, so I've been an agent now for nine years. I don't think you can really count last year, but we will count it anyway. So nine years. Uh, before that, I worked in advertising and I sold advertising space for glossy magazines, but they're online, um, online presence. And I managed to get myself fired from every single job I ever had in advertising through not coming to work on a Monday, being late all the time, uh, being just like at work, just like, oh, oh my God, I had such a massive weekend. Um, and yes, yeah, so I managed to get myself fired from every single job and then eventually had to leave London because I got fired from my job again. Uh, had got kicked out of my flat for having a massive party and the landlord turned up in the middle of it and was like, oh, what's going on here? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not really in a state to have a conversation with you. She was like, <sighs> get out, um, move back in with my parents. And at the time I'd met my husband, my now husband, and he's a DJ and a music producer. And I couldn't quite believe that he actually loved getting up and going to work every day. I was like, you do what? You enjoy going to work? Like, he's like, yeah, I love it. And I was like, that's a weird, that's a novel situation to be in. And he's like, well, why don't you in your next job do something that you really love? And I was like, oh, oh well, that's a good idea. Great advice. I was like, oh, I only really love raving. I literally, that is all <laughs> I loved. Like that was, that was my pastime. That's what I spent my money on. That's what I did. And to be honest, I wasn't even, I, yes, I, I love the music for sure, but I love the drugs and I love the community. And I loved like when I first got into raving was definitely not because of music. It's because suddenly I found my people. I found people mm. I could be myself with. I found people, they killed my loneliness and my terrible depression that I had as a teenager. And 
And that was what kept me in the scene. And I was like, I love this. And then I was like, okay, so what can I do as, what can I do? I've taken all these skills that I'd learned in sales. And I was like, well, what shall I do? And I was like, oh, I'll just be an agent. Like, obviously, absolutely zero idea how it worked. Didn't, never even had been on the guest list, like the door I don't have even ever been put on a guest list actually at that point like ever like I had no idea my first job in music was helping out a guy called Danny run mixed mag parties and he made me go and pick up Richie Horton from the airport and I was like <laughs> are you it. fucking kidding me I was <laughs> so nervous I had to make my uh, boyfriend and my now husband come with me because I was just like I don't know what to do and what he, are you talking about <laughs> yeah and I was like I don't know what to do and I was like and I can't drive this really nice car that they made me hire um and then when we got to the airport he was like my husband was like look there he is, it's over there. And I was like, well, I cannot go and say hello to him. I was like, I do not know what to say. He was like, just say I'm Joanna and he'd spit you up. And I was like, no way, you're going to have to do it for me. So um, oh, no. <laughs> I know, I know. I was so intimidated. And still now, actually, to today, if I meet uh, a big, like uh, a DJ that I'm like, sort of, oh God, you're really, you're really important and famous. Like I still get intimidated, even after doing this job for nine years. But, um, but yeah, that's probably just imposter syndrome coming out massively. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I started working as an agent and um, uh, first of all, working for some very small agencies and um, now I'm working for NGE, which I absolutely love. Like they are the most incredible agency. Um, I've worked with my roster of uh, DJs. Some of them I've had for like five or six years, which I love. So they're like super good friends. And like over the last year has just proved to me how much I love my roster and how important it is mm-hmm. for me to work with people that I, I'm not only professionally love, like in terms of like their music, but I personally really respect. And like, I want to, I want them to do well because I like them, not just because, oh, they can make me some money or, or um, that's my job. You know, it's like, I actually, like, I want to help you make your dreams come true. Um so yeah, so I did, so about five years ago, we moved to Berlin. Um, and to be honest, as I said, like it, it really wasn't for the, for work. It was for work. Obviously, Berlin is the capital of, of rave. Like Bergheim is, is, I would say, unquestionably one of the best clubs in the world, or the best club in the world. Um, maybe Heidi Glue in here in Berlin is also very good. But, you know, in terms of like clubbing experience, like it doesn't get much more like, wow, than Bergheim. Um and yeah, so we moved here and I raved hard for a year and work came second. And after a year, I just went, oh my God. I actually came back from Berghain and I was in Berghain and I was so ill and I refused to leave. And I was like, oh, what else should I do? Should I take more drugs? Should I drink more? And everyone was like, just go home. I was like, I don't want to go home. <laughs> Stop it, you Mexicans. Go- yeah, I was like, I don't want to go home. And it had been like my fourth weekend in a row going there. And I just got home and I just cried and I cried and I cried and I was like, enough, like this is, this is getting ridiculous now. Like you are physically ill. And it wasn't just, it was never the necessarily the, the party. It was always the aftermath for me. It was always, I could, I could, I just couldn't hold life together. And it was getting to the point, like I'd already had two really dark, dark periods in my life where I had questioned whether I wanted to be here and re- really, really dark depression. I just thought, I, you know what, like, this is going that way. I can't, I can't go back there again. I was like, I'm not going to survive it. I'm not like, I have so much love around me and I'm still back in this position where I'm struggling with my mental health again. And this isn't okay. And I'd refused point blank up until this point to ever say, 
drugs and alcohol that's a problem I just I just avoid it I was like no 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 no, it's my depression Mm. um no no no, it's my job no no it's the pressures of life no like Mm. never accepting responsibility for the fact actually like my what I what I was taking on every single weekend like every weekend um had affected it so I decided this was like before Christmas and I thought, right, well, that's it. You can have one last Christmas and one last New Year's Eve and you can go crazy. And I did like way too crazy. And I, t- I think I told myself like on the first, I was like, right, that's it. And then the second, I was like, oh, well, we can go to another party. Then. And then I was like, okay, second, that, that's it. And I was like, okay, we'll just go to one more party. And then the fourth of Jan, I was like, enough, 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 enough. Um, so I decided then that I was going to give up alcohol and drugs for a year and I called, I started a vlog on YouTube and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And like 365 days of sober and I managed four months, which I still think is quite impressive. Yeah, it's um, brilliant. And uh, then it was my birthday and mm. um, I had a big night out and I, I was just ruined afterwards. And I was like, this, Joanna, this is, this is not for you. This life is not for you anymore. Like, you know how good it can be. Like, you know mm. how much magic there is in feeling amazing every day. And I hadn't felt amazing every day consistently for 15 years longer you know and so I'd had four months of literally waking up every morning and going oh I feel the same as I did yesterday this is cool okay oh and then and getting myself excited about life and being like so I could feel like this every single day so then trial and error over the last three years just what works for me what doesn't I've been like oh maybe I can just try drinking maybe I could just try this and like no 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 um and then the pandemic hit and I was like, well, this is going to go one way or the other, Joanna. So either like you're going to get Which smashed to, <laughs> to get your way through this or you can um, just do the best you can and do everything that you've ever wanted to do or everything you've wanted to do in the last few years that you've never had time to do because you've just been working so hard. Um, so I trained to become a personal trainer, which I loved. And I fitness for me was one of the biggest things that got me um that kept me healthy got me strong mentally like I've always been athletic I've always hated my body I've always had like massive body confidence problems but then I started like getting muscle and I was like actually I look pretty good I quite like this like oh look at me yeah and actually started loving my body I was like wow this is amazing um and spent the summer training people but then was like this isn't enough like I want to help more like I want to do more um and then, long story short, Six Zero was born. Um, my husband, we were supposed to go away for Christmas and my COVID test didn't come back in time. So he went off to Spain on his own and I was left at home over Christmas and I wrote the course. So I was like, at the time, it was like, whoa, I want to go on holiday. But actually, it was the best thing that could have happened. Like, I'd already launched wow. it, but I hadn't actually written anything. And I was like, oh, shit, like, I've got all these people signing up and I've not actually written anything. Um, and then I got some of my DJs on board to do it and they started posting about it. And then before I knew it, I had 45 people signed up and I was like, fuck, okay, here we go. Um, and I just wanted to, I just thought if I have been, if I have, if a period of sobriety has changed my perspective on everything, if it's given me better balance, if I have come out of it mentally happier, physically, emotionally, everything, if I've just come out of it, like so much better then surely I'm not going to be the only one who's in this position surely there's got to be other Mm. people who haven't hit rock bottom surely there's got to be other people that aren't getting up in the morning and swigging alcohol but still feel like it's a problem and surely if I if I can feel better after two months or three months and the the initial course was the nine zero project but then I got told a million times like 
90 days is far too long. And I was like, all right, let's just, let's, <laughs> let's just scare people not so much and do the six zero. And I thought if it, uh, if it works, peer pressure. <laughs> yeah. but I wanted as many people to sign up as possible. You know, I wanted to help as many people as possible. And they're right. Like, you know, even 60 days, people are like, Fuck, that's a lot of time. And when you're drinking every day or, you know, it's a regular occurrence in your life, it is a long time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was born and I'll be honest, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I was just winging it and hoping for the best. And, but I was just like, there was something inside me that said, do it, do it, do it, do it. And obviously, if I hadn't been sober, I would never have made it. But if I hadn't been sober, I would never have had the self-confidence or the self-worth or the self-belief to make it and create it and be like, yeah, listen to me. Because getting sober gave me all of those things. Like, all of, I, I, didn't, I had barely any of that before. And I would question myself. I'd, you know, walk into a party and be like, oh, God, I want to just backdoor boogie immediately. I can't be here. Like, I... And that was obviously a huge reason for drinking so much and taking any drugs. Like social mm. anxiety is such a big thing. Um, yeah, so it was born and it was amazing. And um, it was magic. And the tagline was, let's see what magic can happen. Because that's actually how I felt like when I got sober. Oh, was, I was, it's magical. Like, And I was like, this is the best gift I've ever given to myself. Like, I can't believe it's taken me this long. And I can't believe how much healing that I've done just from doing nothing like you don't even have to do anything in fact you just have to do nothing like not drink (laughs) obviously it helps if you do more stuff like you know it helps if you exercise if you meditate if you know you do do more healing therapy and stuff but ultimately stopping is enough stopping is enough to help you feel the magic and it was magic it was amazing and like I can't I'll, even off the first phone call like we do a group we do a group call every Monday um and then now accountability calls so everyone you got everyone goes into breakout rooms and they have a chat with whoever's in their room with them without me there without the group watching them just like really honest really vulnerable um but um just from the very first call I was like oh my fucking god what have we done I was like this is amazing oh my god oh my god, oh, oh my god. Uh, yeah and it was like mm. um and you know what like I knew it would be good um but I actually I, I did change people's lives no that's a lie that sounds so <laughs> up my own ass I didn't change people's lives they changed their life I facilitated it a little bit at the beginning I opened the door pushed them through it and said walk down that path and they went and the people that went and did it properly like um yeah and that's like to be to help people is just the best feeling ever like and and to be part of that journey and watch people not just change their life but therefore change their children's life and therefore change their grandchildren's life as well because ultimately what you do as a parent when your kids are young are going to affect your kids as adults and will affect the way that their parent their children so it's like a massive generational thing you're already turning the tide of of you know how those kids are going to be affected later on in life and that mm. i just think is massive and I just it's magic I just want to do like, so much more of it <laughs> it's like putting a big interrupter in isn't it yeah. and you're just being like and we're changing we're changing the the course of history yeah. and it's going to begin with me and mm. yeah mm. beautiful it's amazing can you break down for us kind of what the the first six zero experiment like looked like in practice and then kind of how the experiments have evolved since then like because it yeah. sounds like part of the interesting part is that you're trying new kind of methods for each experiment, which is really nice. Like what's the, if it is the scientific method, like what's the hypothesis and how do you kind of get through the, the, the time? Mm, Okay. So, uh, six zero, 
my hypothesis, hypothesis, I can't say that word properly, but um, <laughs> that word, uh, I did actually, I went into it with a really open mind because I also wasn't 100% sure of like that it was going to work or that people, I was actually expecting to get people requesting refunds like almost immediately. I was like, <laughs> oh shit. I, but I actually kept all the money in my bank until the very end. I didn't spend a penny of it because I was sure that somebody would ask for a refund. Um, and I just did it. I was like, shit, like if they ask I'm, and I've spent it, I'm going to be pissed off. Um, so very open-minded, but I just knew that if people gave it enough time, if people were, um, uh, uh, people just stuck to it for long enough, then um, they would feel the magic and it would happen. But I also knew that people had tried this before on their own and, and, it, and it, it's so hard on your own. I did it on my own and it's so hard. And I looked and I looked for sober groups where there were people that I resonated with and there just wasn't. There was housewives who were stashing wine bottles under the sink they were uh 40 50 year old men who liked to go down the pub all the time you know there was alcoholics anonymous there was people that were going to rehab and I was like but I'm not any of those like I I can't go to alcoholics anonymous or cocaine anonymous or narcotics anonymous legitimately and I don't think my story is enough even though regardless whether it is or not but I didn't feel valid going there so I was like so there has to be somewhere else that people can come and feel safe and be vulnerable um so every single week we did, uh, we had a personal development topic and do you know what? I can't even remember what they were for the six zero now, um, but they, we're doing the two zero now and I talked through those. It's like self-love. We look at triggers. Um, oh shit. Well, I can't remember all of them. Uh, we set intentions for the, for the whole time. We look at forgiving ourselves. Um, oh, there's two more. I can't remember what they are right now. Um, I should remember them because as I record the videos and write all the workbooks. Um, but we <laughs> it's do a say, lot to hold. It is. It is a lot. Um, so personal development video every week. We had an interview from a DJ, a sober DJ or a sober curious DJ. Um, then we had uh, a workout from me because obviously being a personal trainer, I was like, well, I can obviously give people workout. But in the end, I delegated to other people. I was like, it's too much work. Somebody else do it. Um, and then another activity um, oh, and a weird science video as well. So me talking about the science of drugs, like how drugs affect your body, how alcohol affects your body and your brain, like um, new um, new developments in terms of like psilocybin and like ketamine being used for addiction therapy and depression and stuff. Like it's not all bad, guys. Drugs aren't all terrible. They actually do have good uses in some places. Um, and really the, the six zero was like, just l get people to adhere to it as much as possible. Like get people to go as long as they can without having a drink. And it was generally got to about 20 days and people were like, oh, I actually feel pretty fucking great now. Cause in the first week people were like, Oh, my sleep shit. Like I don't feel that wonderful. Like where's this magic you're talking of? Like, Oh, this is really difficult. Like I had to go and see some friends and I just wanted to leave because they were drinking and I couldn't, or I didn't go to my friend's house because I couldn't go because, um, because I didn't want to be put in that situation. So, um, yeah, I just knew that if we could get past the end of January, I just knew that people would be like, oh my God, this is actually, this actually works. And the majority of the people did get past the end of January. The majority of the people got past day 45. We still had, I think there were like 12 people who got all the way to, oh no, sorry. There were like 50 percent of people got all the way to 60. And then we had eight more people that carried it on for another 30 days. We started a little Amazing. breakout group. Yeah. And the longest person went all the way to the beginning of May. And then he had a massive weekend and was like, oh, I feel terrible. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I I like, Hangovers after four months off your booze. It's just awful. Um, but um, yeah. And I, 
Uh, where was I going with this? Uh, yeah, so that's what we did every single week, and that and that and it was consistency as well. Getting consistent, getting in a routine, getting people knowing the people in the group as well, feeling that community spirit, and that was the thing that really kept us all going was the fact we were all in it together. And was it all industry professionals? Um, no, it was. I would say it was like eighty percent ravers. Uh, sorry, eighty percent ravers and industry professionals, and then a couple of other people um that weren't necessarily that you wouldn't necessarily meet on a dance floor but certainly were uh like young and open-minded and you know just uh the same sort of person I mean 80% was a people gave up drink and drugs 10% just drink 10% just drugs so and I would say there's there's not one person that I wouldn't like that you wouldn't that you wouldn't have met on a dance floor like it was just like Everyone was cool. Everyone was like, I know that sounds shit because cool, you know, like, um, <laughs> but, but as in like, we're all like-minded people, you know, we all had the same interests. We all wanted, um, I don't know, like it was just a really nice community of people. And yes, there were industry professionals in there. Um, and obviously I'm not going to start naming names of who was in there. No, um, of course not. But I think, you know, what you speak to is this idea of like, we, Dance music is a very high risk industry, you know, and yeah. in a, in a kind of high pressure sport if you're, <laughs> if you're mm-hmm. raving as a passion, you know, and this idea of having a, a place that's very specific to that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. interest is really special because like there is a, there's an, a high level of relation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what we, so we're now doing the two zero, we're on like day 15 and this one I didn't so the last one I didn't do any advertising marketing but I used DJs like to promote it so like Sound of Vine she put out a message GW Harrison Jess Bays um I can't remember who else but a couple of others I interviewed like Chris Lake and Fat Tony um one of the um agents from Defected so though that was very industry related and so the two zero I was like I wonder what I can do on my own without using the DJs the group's very different um, it's a very different dynamic of people and not, it's not bad, obviously, but it is very different. And, um, I've learned a lot of things from that, like what, who, who it's for, like how to get that commit sense of community, because that is so important, you know, to have that accountability to each other. Like we can all lie. We can all go and get shit faced and, you know, go out raving and then go to the meeting on Monday and be like, Oh yes, I did well. I didn't, but um, but obviously you wouldn't want to, but having that more, the more sense of community you've got, the more you owe each other something, the more you're going to get through, get through it together. Yeah. The more, the more it works as a peer support yeah. system, as opposed to just kind of like, I'm doing this in a void and I just want to like impress these people. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and also I think is like an echo chamber, you know, and I think like it is also really important that people feel connected and see themselves in other people. And that's how accountability works, mm. right? Like when you have your own tribe, and you're reflecting back yeah. and you are in a kind of echo chamber of sorts, then it feels more possible mm-hmm. because you're like, well, I'm having a shit day. This person did it for a couple more days. Mm-hmm. I see myself in that. This is how I'm going to mm-hmm. keep going, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that sort of developing all these different recovery resources that are coming up, like what you've developed and plus there's a multitude of other ones, which I also work in right now mm-hmm. that have popped up and when I got sober nine years ago, it just like didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It was just AA. And so I'm so pleased that there are so many different varieties for people mm-hmm. because then everybody can hear their sort of song or whatever their narrative in different groups. Yeah. Right? Well, especially because you mentioned, you know, AA and NA and I, I, as a 
proud member of 12 step fellowships. Like that is how, you know, we got sober, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, like you speak to not necessarily hitting a rock bottom that you could identify as a big enough kind of reason to get well, but still wanting to get well. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that it's really important to kind of offer spaces for people who don't necessarily see themselves as addicts or alcoholics, but who do feel like they have they want to stop using, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I always say like, you know, your trauma doesn't have to come with a capital T and your problem doesn't have to be a capital P. Like it can be a smaller problem in your life, but still an issue. You know, if you're, if you're going out at the weekend and you're not the person who stays out the latest or takes the most amount of drugs or gets the most wasted, but you still can't make it to the plans you have the next day consistently, that's a problem. I would say, you know, if you're letting people down that you really love, you know, you're hurting people, you know, that I would say is then that is a problem because you, that isn't mm. really your core belief. That isn't really what you want to do. That isn't, yeah. you know, and, and the reason you're not doing what you want to do is because you couldn't come home at the right time the night before, you know, because you were inconsistent. I'm not saying the one-offs, you know, like yeah, yeah. people have one-offs, but consistently, consistently letting people down and letting yourself down, then I think it's a problem. But it doesn't have to be you swigging out of a, a vodka bottle and snorting two grams, two lines of Coke first thing in the morning or two grams. Um, (laughs) but you know it doesn't have to be that it can it can also be the interference in your life and just the not the not being the best version of yourself totally I love that and I'm so happy (laughs) to hear that there is a space for that Mm. that we can direct people to as well because sometimes you know we'll meet people in our lives I'm talking about like Louise and I the same person we're not (laughs) but if we we, Um, you know, you come across people and they're just like, I just can't get this thing or, you know, or clients that I work with in recovery who, you know, just to know that there are other resources Mm -hmm. to direct people to who are like, yeah, I feel like drugs and alcohol are like negatively impacting me finishing an album or Mm. something. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I don't want it to be forever. I just want it to be for this little bit so I can get my shit together. Then, you know, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Or just right try it. This out there. Yeah. Like, yeah. because the, the kind of life sentence of, you know, 12 step recovery, I'm really into, but I understand mm-hmm. why that would be like, I don't, I don't actually want to quit drinking and using for all and for good. And I'm not willing to go to any lengths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Like, so where do we, where do you go? You know, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's totally valid. And I'd rather somebody be honest about it than like, kind of feel 100%. like they can't relate to, yeah. to 12-step recovery. Yeah, and, and, you, and some, for some people, you have to start somewhere, you know, and starting with 60 days is a lot, lot easier than starting with forever. You know, it's a lot less <laughs> Even forever, one day at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you say to people, like, forever, and they're like, oh, wow, it's such a big word, and it is a big word. But if you say to someone, 60 days, and they get to the end of the 60 days, and they go... I don't want to stop. So my, my mum actually, she, she came to me. She said, oh, I, I think I need to do your course. And I was like, oh, mum, I don't think my course is quite, quite for you. I was like, <laughs> probably not. You're not really going to resonate with the people in there, mum. But I will coach you through. Well, let's do 30 days of sober and I'll coach you through it. And she, sorry, mum, if you listen to this, I'm just telling everyone your hi, business. Mom. But anyway, hi. <laughs> uh, please don't ever listen to this, mum. But um, <laughs> she was drinking up to four large gin and tonics and a bottle of wine a night and I would say that's quite a lot of booze um and I was like oh mum like that, that's a lot she's like I know I know I know how's no your liver doing yeah 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 no <laughs> judgment at all mum I know you've had a great life you're retired you whatever you like however are you enjoying sober mum yes you are so she did 30 <laughs> days and I said what so what's your exit plan mum what are you gonna do at the end of the 30 days she's like I think I'm just gonna carry it on I was like mm. 
<gasps> amazing, oh. amazing. My mum's wow. 69 and my parents, have. I always remember them being not necessarily heavy, but regular, very regular drinkers. And as, as they've got older and as they've gone more into retirement and more into like the autumn and winter of their life, the relaxation yeah, days. And, <laughs> yes, they're just like, you know what, whatever. They've worked hard all their life. And I, I, literally no judgment. You do whatever. You do you guys. Um, but the fact that she's now come to the conclusion that life is actually a lot nicer without booze. And there's only about an hour in the day that she's really has that like, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Like 5 p.m. Like, oh, I'd like to crack open a bottle now. Once that's gone, mm. it's gone. And then she gets another 23 hours of like, oh, feeling amazing. Waking up in the morning without that hangover without feeling a bit shit without wishing you hadn't bothered you know and she's like oh I feel fitter I feel healthier people are saying I look better I was like mom oh so. what a beautiful gift you gave her <laughs> I, know, so I, mega. Know, I know I know although I did say like I do believe mom some of my uh, drug and alcohol problems were because of you and your parenting and now <laughs> you're using me to get sober cheers mom cheers mom yeah. Yeah. Nice cheers, cheers. Nice one. Just take, take 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 mother take 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 <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of mothers, this is the part of the story that if she is listening, mother must turn off. Yeah. Um, now about sex. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are your, some of the earliest messages you've received around sex and sexuality? Do you know, I've been thinking about this and like earliest messages, like not a lot. Like, mum, if you are what, listening to this, like I didn't ever have the birds and the bees chat. I never had a chat about sex about sexuality like it was just a given that I was straight you know it was never there was never a question in fact my dad quite quite homophobic you know so it was like you know boys will be boys and girls will be girls um and my boys were very boys in our in our household very much and uh, it's a very very masculine energy in my household very masculine energy and I think I tried to be a bit more like that to make mm. to make myself fit in a bit more um and then as I grew up do you know what I've always absolutely loved sex and I've always been very open about it and very confident with it as well and never felt like naughty or dirty or anything I've always just been like yeah super confident which is weird considering that I when I was younger I never really had that like chat or yeah, that, like I'm confidence. curious but it sounds like you also didn't necessarily get any kind of shame information which no. sounds like it might have been helpful <laughs> yeah do you know what need like neither way like just just get on with it and just find my own way with it and um and I did and yeah yeah like I, I really thought about this question a lot and I was like oh god I can't answer this so like oh I'm gonna have to do some soul searching like this is something I need to actually like really think about you know like on a longer term thing like why is that why don't I have an answer for that I should have an answer for it I should know how I felt when I was younger I should I should have a better answer for this question and I just I just don't and that worries me I'm like oh I mean maybe it's not especially if you had a positive experience maybe it's not mm. worrisome but like it's interesting because I know that a lot of time the kind of conversation on this podcast turns into how uh like sex and how we feel about or within our bodies are related mm. and it said you also kind of grew up you said you also kind of grew up with like a lot of self-loathing around body stuff mm. And I wonder kind of how you managed to like have that meanwhile, have like a really like fulfilling and rich and joyful sex life. Like yeah. that's the fucking secret, you know? I actually don't know because I've always been like hugely body confident, but you know what? It's, I'm, I'm sorry, not body confident. Like I've always been, I've always really struggled with my body image and always been like, I remember being at school when I was like 
16 and turn around to boys and be like, am I fat? And I mean, I was like on every sports team going. Like there was, I look back at pictures of me and I'm just like, oh my God. Like how can you ever, ever have thought you were fat? Like mm. I remember, I, so I got braces when I was 27 and because um, I didn't like my teeth. And I remember thinking, I was like, well, you can't be the fat girl with braces. You're going to have to lose loads of weight. And I look back at pictures of myself and I'm like, oh my God, like, like this is, this is, this is borderline like eating sort of like you are so thin and just didn't at all recognize it at all. Um, however, like I've never felt that transferred over to like my sex life. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this works. I would love to like work out how that didn't transfer over to that. Like how I was so confident in one way and so unconfident in another. I would like yeah, to know. I totally, totally relate though. I feel like as part of the British ladder kind of culture yes, a little I was bit. Definitely ladder. Because I had exactly the same experience. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I had a very similar experience. Like sex was somewhere I felt incredibly free mm. and powerful. And so that was almost like a haven for me mm. to to feel confident. So, you know, I felt shit in school or whatever, but I knew that I had some power when it came to my sexuality, yes. which wasn't really talked about. I mean, my parents, I had very different experience kind of growing up. Like my household was very open, but it still... I think what you grow up around, especially in the UK, really your peer, your peers hyper influence mm. who you end up being and growing up with that kind of like, I don't know, just sort of like bravado or yeah. whatever and oh. blokes around. I fucking love that because it made me feel powerful. Mm. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I've got yes. the rest of it and how I feel about myself and like intimacy. I mean, it just wasn't even a question, yeah. but within the bed bedroom and it wasn't, sometimes it was phone boxes, whatever, like <laughs> public toilets. Yeah. I felt powerful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, I think you're totally right then. I actually remember my friend, we were actually talking about blowjobs and she was like, oh God, I hate giving blowjobs. I just feel like so taken advantage of. I was like, what? I was like, what? are you joking? Yeah. I was like, you have his dick like in your boss. mouth. Like, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> you can fight down anytime. You are, you are in control. Like, like yeah. how, we, how, she's like, I never really thought about it like that. And I guess that's just different mentalities yeah. though, isn't it? And I, and that's how I've always felt. And like, like the ladette thing, like I still call my, like, you know, I still on emails, like, hi, mate, you know, it's still very much like yeah. a, all right, dude. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah, same. So, yeah. so maybe, yeah, maybe it just comes from that, come that, that sort of Denise Van Outen sort of, yeah, yeah. do you remember her? Yeah, she's Denise mm, Van Outen, fucking yeah. hell. Oh my God. <laughs> For the yeah. listeners who aren't aware, who is Denise Van Outen? Oh, uh, she's married to JK. Yeah, she was married to Jamiroquai. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, a personal TV she was, presenter. She, she was the, the like, uh, queen ladette, wasn't she? Like, she oh, yeah. Everything. She was like, yeah, with, with, what's his name? Chris, what's Chris his Evans? face? Chris and Evans, they on the do. Big Breakfast. Yeah, I mean, on the Big sorry, Breakfast. Anyone who obviously yeah. wasn't around in this era in the UK. It's very specific. <laughs> it's very, very specific. But I feel like it. We had Princess Superstar on here. Um, oh yeah, a we few did. weeks ago. It was amazing, it was. and um, she was talking about that song. What was that song Bad that Baby she Sitter. released, which was huge? Bad Babysitter. It was huge in the UK, and it just suddenly was just like all of these fucking memories came mm. flooding back, and it's all part of that same era right of like fucking I'm gonna wear bunches but I'm also just gonna be in here and be a bit like Britney but 
London version of yeah, he's, you he's know. London Britney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hackney Britney. Totally. Oh God. Hackney Britney. Oh my God. That's oh, so trashy. Yeah. Comes so trashy. <laughs> it is kind of like that, unfortunately. Yeah, but I mean I do think that it sounds like that that can actually like the combination of those things, like knowing one's own sex appeal and sexual power mm-hmm. plus kind of being self-considering as one of the boys can mm-hmm. make is actually kind of perfect for being an agent. Oh yeah. <laughs> like totally. you're in the perfect line of work. Totally. totally. You're Look, like, I have sex power and I just have power, power. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. And do you know what somebody said to me? Like, Oh, do you ever feel like discriminated against? Cause you're a woman. I was like, no, I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, never, you know, just proper. Like what? people look at me differently because I'm a woman in the music and I was like oh, they probably do actually but but I don't oh, you know? and I was like I I'm like well I'm just one of the lads like you know I'm bowling in there yeah. just being like yeah yeah and and it's like oh yeah actually actually may, maybe I am and it, it was only something happened I can't even remember what it was now it was something that happened at DC 10 and I can't remember and I was like, oh, I'm getting treated differently because I'm a woman. I was like, oh. oh that's what this I is. Like, this moment oh, is so right. fucked, yeah. isn't it? Because I just, because I had never had it. Like, I think because when I was younger, I was just so trying to be like one of the boys all the time and trying to right. fit in in my family all the time. So I was one of the boys. And so, you know, I'd go to my brother's rugby matches and, and hang out with all the boys and, you know, drink all the boys under the table. And, you know, right. just not, I just always just be like, I'm, I am one of the lads. So. Yeah. I never viewed myself as different, but then you sort of like take a step back. You're like, oh yeah, shit. But other people probably view me as different, you know, or, or men view me as different to to men and women different. Or treat them it's really hectic. Like I, I'm married an American, and um, there came this point where like we were in our relationship, and I was like, yo, I fucked like over two hundred people. Like I don't remember <laughs> their names, and just being. He was like, I found that really upsetting to hear. Like, and I was like. Oh, oh my God, <laughs> this is super normal. And this is how I have my bravado. What do you mean? And I really like this guy as well. He's my husband now. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fucking I hope so. so much. <laughs> yeah. And I have his child in my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm moving around, by the way. I'm on a freaking yoga oh, ball because my fucking back hurt. Oh, bless you. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah. And I was just like, oh God, like, he likes a different part of me that I don't even see Mm. and I've never like tapped into before and it was like this moment where I was like I can soften or I can tell him to go fuck himself I told him to go fuck himself (laughs) but like (laughs) I eventually softened you know and I was like damn somebody loves me like not being that like bad bitch you know I have to put on that that act to be accepted or or liked or or part of the crew ever you can actually just right, right. just be like oh I can put my let my guard down and just oh and just actually be like can you come and take care of me and give me a cuddle rather than like totally. don't do it fuck off yeah <laughs> and it's not like into me because of mm. that person yeah. and he's yeah. into me for something I didn't even acknowledge in myself and I was like oh, oh this <laughs> yeah. is cute it's, it cute. seems like that that's coming up a lot like last week we had um Morgan Ducky who's they're non-binary, but they were talking about kind of trying to fit in and w- wanting to be accepted by kind of an EDM American culture and mm-hmm. how that always felt a little off. Like, you know, when they got like dapped, they felt really great, but um, that ultimately it kind of came down to within, you know, a homophobic white supremacist patriarchy, <laughs> like this idea of, um, 
having to have a core value that's different from just needing to be accepted Mm -hmm. is the thing that's going to make the work meaningful. So that they said that they, they transferred their purpose to really being specific around wanting to create a safe space within their, their music and their raving culture Mm -hmm. for the people who felt as outcast and as weird and as kind of unable to fit in Mm -hmm. as they had felt Mm -hmm. and that that was giving their, their work a lot more meaning and they Mm -hmm. felt a lot more pride in, in the, in the uh, process. And I wonder like kind of as that like an incident happens at DC 10 and the kind of the illusion of like, Oh fuck. Like that's what that is. Like, Mm. Oh, this is that. Oh, sexism. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, That exists. I'm also in that. Yeah. 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 I'm part of that. It's like, what? No, no, but I wonder if like, it was helpful to kind of have that conversation as like a map of like, wait, what is my purpose? And mm. I, it sounds like that you're finding a lot of fulfillment within kind of the six zero experiments, mm. just in terms of like, wait, like it's not necessarily about the, like the fitting in and the raving till death. It's about like, how can I cultivate a space, mm. a safe space with the mm. tools I, I didn't necessarily have mm. that I found helpful that I had to kind of, you know, self-cultivate by giving them to others. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like creating the, Creating the safe, safe, spl- safe space. I always have trouble with that. I'm always like safe space, safe space um, <laughs> for what I call the biggest act of rebellion, which is going sober. Like in, oh, yeah. in today's culture, sure. it is one of the biggest acts of rebellion. Like to, to say, I don't drink. And I used to have to warn people before I met up with them. They're like, let's want to go for a drink. I'll be like, oh, by the way, I'm not drinking alcohol because I was scared of their judgment. Yeah. And actually you know one of my friends said to me today, she's like, Oh, you know, the other day she said, uh, you know, when like you go to the pub and you're not drinking, you get all like that judgment and you have to explain this. Oh, you're not drinking. You have to get all that judgment and you have to explain yourself. I was like, how weird, how weird that oh you're God. not drinking, you get judged and you have to explain yourself for, for having a lemonade. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, how is that? Where did yeah. that not become normal? Like, you know, yes. and so, yes. Yeah, so what you're saying is like, so or what we were saying was having that safe space safe space i'm never gonna get that right um you're in it and for people to come and just feel like accepted and to be honest and be vulnerable and to say mm. whatever they like and yeah i think that's i think that's magic and i think that anyone can that can do that for whatever it doesn't have to be about drinking it can be about anything you know it as as what were the people that were just on your what were their names it was ducky and uh, superstar okay yeah so ducky like creating a creating a space where you can go and be like oh thank god i can just be normal here i don't have to put on an act i don't have to try hard i can just let myself relax and just without that like oh god what's gonna happen here you know whether that's in a place where you're you think you're gonna get homophobic remarks or a place where you're going to have to be faced with drinking or not drinking or making that decision mm. um, or justifying and like yeah you know I, I love for yourself totally you like, know I mean it's like oh yeah, yeah. you go yeah, I was say, the <laughs> amount of times I used to be like oh how can I explain I'm not drinking or should I say I'm on antibiotics yeah. I'm like, allergic yeah. and like what why should I ever have to justify to yeah. anybody that I'm not drinking like why should that be what, what should I have to say? And I have had friends say to me, like, oh, I remember when you used to be fun. I was like, do you know what? It was fun for you. It wasn't fucking fun for me. Like, right, I'm not the one right. who, I, you're not the one who had to lie in yeah. bed with me afterwards and, and panic about the day after or what I'd done the day before mm, yeah. and have angst yeah. and, like, be depressed. I was like, that wasn't fun, guys. <laughs> like, no, it was anything but fun. And kind of speaking of which, like, you are in a long-term relationship. You've mentioned you're married. Yeah. And how did um, 
this transform when you started to examine your relationship with drugs and alcohol? Yeah, so I was petrified that my husband would decide that I was boring and um, oh. I was no longer the woman that he wanted and he would uh, he was going to find someone else way more fun that wanted to go out every weekend. Oh, and, sweetheart. And I was, I was so scared. And I, but I also knew I had to take this risk because I was going to... I wasn't going to survive if I went down this the, the men, really bad mental health again. Like, I just I just knew I wouldn't. Um, I couldn't do it again. So, what happened was we have the most amazing relationship in the world, and it just Ooh. got oh, better and better and better. And I mean, every single thing from how much I um, how much I want to make him happy to how kind I am to him to how patient I am with him, and he test my patience a lot um but to to the bigger things like to um to the sex you know and I thought god I'm gonna be such a boring bed if I'm not if I'm not um we're not having like the crazy sex after we come home from clubs and like no like life is there is nothing not magic about being sober like everything got better and yes there are challenges for sure and yes there are him staying out until whatever time with people that I don't know, you know, like in clubs, he's a DJ, he's a music producer, that's his world. You know, there have been conflicts because I'm like, it's now 4pm and you're not home and we have plans, you know, like, but overall, I'm not, I'm not going to start going out and just because I want to keep up with him. I actually ended up with him from June last year till the end of February this year to being completely sober, which was amazing. So actually I got him on board with my lifestyle. Um, (laughs) Um, but yeah, everything's better. I'm more me than I've ever been before in my life. Like I'm, I'm a happier, better, more authentic, more loving, caring person, like genuinely the best version of me I've ever been and how that couldn't reflect in, in my relationship would, that would just be impossible. You know, it would, it just, it just couldn't like, and he says to me like, oh yeah, like you're amazing. Like I loved you before, but I love you so much more now. Like you're just great. Oh my God. Yeah. So beautiful. Literally. (laughs) And it's, and as I get to know myself more, which I still am all the time. And as he gets to know me more, like things just get better. Like we are just such good friends and knowing that, um, he can do what he wants. And for me now, there's no jealousy with him, you know, when he goes out, like not jealousy with other girls, but just jealousy with that like lifestyle or, yeah. or fear of missing out. Yeah, massively. Or like, oh, is he going to meet someone else? It's like, no, he's not, obviously. Um, and just, I feel so secure <laughs> in the relationship. <laughs> I feel so secure in the relationship. I feel so secure in myself, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, if you do happen to go and find someone else, more for you, because this is amazing mm. and, you know, and he's obviously not like we're lifers. He's he's my lobster. He's my oh. lobster. <laughs> That's so Beautiful. Sweet. But, I mean, but what an amazing thing too, just like you said, like to be very secure in yourself, to be a safe space for oneself, mm. especially, mm. you know, having like struggled with mental health stuff mm. that's a huge fucking deal you mm. know i mean I, I, I literally i wake up with uh, butterflies in my tummy because i'm happy and because i spent such a lot of oh, my life so being happy and, yeah. and a, a huge part of my life and i mean i was diagnosed with depression when i was 19 and i my whole teenager i, I was just oh i was just so unhappy and i've looked back i was actually just thinking yesterday about the girl that walked down the stairs at 19 just broke down on the stairs and said mom i actually think i need some help and 
Oh. Obviously, what happens? She takes with the doctor. Doctor goes, "Hey, take some tablets." And there you go. That was my life for the next ten years. End of, yeah. yeah. It's like no, like, have you thought about going for a run or you know, yeah. you know, eating yeah. better? Like, no, no, have some yeah. Prozac. There we go. Um, yeah. But looking back at her and just thinking, like, mm, so sad. Like, I just want to give her yeah. a big hug. And now thinking, mm. now I'm just like, oh, oh my god, I'm so happy. Like, this is so nice. Oh. So nice. <laughs> so nice. I literally genuinely feel joy every day. And I didn't really. I don't think I really knew the meaning. I thought joy happened when you took MDMA and <laughs> no, no I mean it's a version of joy for sure for sure but it's not yes. real deep down soul like you know ooh, joy that makes yeah, you the cost is high you know the cost is very high yeah like I'm in love with myself these days and I never used to love myself so yeah wow and, uh, <laughs> speaking so about amazing. your speaking about your body mm. and um being a trainer yes. has it sort of you being sober changed the way that you work with clients and think about also your relationship to your own body. Yes. So I only trained as a trainer last year. So I was already pretty much completely sober. However, it, I would say it would be impossible to do this job if I was going to be caning every weekend or even like a few glasses of wine. Oh, alarm goes off at 6am. Like, am I going to be able to get up and train in the best way possible? Absolutely not. Um, so um, also it gave me learning about my body and my brain on like the, I wouldn't say the deepest level, but a deeper level rather than just like what you see in the mirror or, you know, very, very surface level stuff has given me so much more respect for my brain and my body. And it's also made mm-hmm. me feel really intrigued about how, how things work, like in terms of the drugs and alcohol, how they affect my body, how they, why I would why I would feel bad after taking them and why I would sometimes I'll feel okay after taking them, like how food affects me, um, you know, how my energy levels dis- change throughout the day, depending on what I've done at the weekend. So in terms of like, well, I couldn't, I couldn't be a trainer if I was getting mash up every weekend, like just be impossible. Um, and to be honest, like, I don't want to, I just in love with my body too much to say, Oh, let's, let's talk to you. <laughs> and my brain you know and I tried like for so long to exercise when I when I was going out every single weekend like tried so hard to exercise do what's right by my body and then I would do it for two weeks and then come down kick in and I'll be like oh can't be bothered like uh, and it would and I'd never really get any further on with my fitness journey my health journey and then when I stopped drinking and taking drugs and it was like oh I consistently exercise I was like okay so this is what you're capable of all right this is amazing like this this is great and feeling strong in your body and your mind is is great and I love and this sounds so arrogant but I love being an inspiration to other people like I like being like look at what I did like I was the biggest caner ever now look at me like I'm 38 and I've got the best body I've ever had and I'm happy and I'm fit and I'm body confident and like yeah so like yeah like you can have it all you know but you also that's fucking incredible thinking. sorry guys <laughs> totally want to speak to you about personal training when I'm freaking through this pregnancy yeah. how, many, like, how many months are you six, six. oh how exciting yeah. <laughs> I'm trying not to take over every podcast episode with like my boring pregnancy stories because <laughs> I'm so boring. Louisa's godmum, so oh, it's very exciting. There's nothing yeah. boring about growing the miracle of a child inside you. Like, it's monumental. <laughs> mind blown. When people are like, oh, miracles don't exist. I'm like, hello, we grow children inside of us. Like, are you yes. And we don't even try. 
We just Your fingers do it. and eyeballs. Like, they can breathe. Yeah. <laughs> like as nails. Like, <laughs> What's going on? Like what? We don't even have to. We don't have to say like, please grow a child. Like you know, brains. Yeah. We just do it. Like how is that not yeah. a miracle? As a miracle. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, it's a miracle. But I love what you say about like the body and, you know, being able to have it all at 38 and 39. And I'm just like hearing that. It's just like, yes, this is why we do this, Mm. right? This is why we get well. And then we can kind of like slyly influence other people without them even knowing it. Slyly influence my entire friendship group. I'm like, hey guys, I'm doing this course with the six ever. I could really use your support. Come and do it. And like, like, literally all my friends, my close friends in Berlin, I'm like, yeah, we're just on six days of sober. And they're all just like, what? Like, but I'm like, it's a global pandemic. Yeah. 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 Louisa calls it sneaking forgot, which is, I I think, another way. Perfect. (laughs) Yes, infiltrate them all. (laughs) <laughs> in it in it so um what would be something that you would like to share with dance music professionals who are so curious but not quite ready to make the leap speaking um, of your friendship group <laughs> yes. yes what do you want to tell everyone yes I want to say like you don't have it doesn't as I said it doesn't have to be a problem with the capital P for you to say hmm oh, I love hmm. that I think I'd like something to change like you don't have to hit rock bottom like you don't have to be uh doing like multitudes of coke and taking drugs every weekend like it doesn't have to be that like if you are questioning whether what you're doing is okay or questioning whether you feel okay then that is enough of a question for you to say maybe it's time to give it a break and giving it a break doesn't mean forever it doesn't mean that you're going to put your hands up and say yeah I'm an alcoholic that's it I can't ever drink again it just means you're going to evaluate these circumstances you're going to you know, say, okay, so maybe it's just worth taking a few weeks off and thinking, is this really the best version of me? Um, and obviously join the experiment. Mm. <laughs> um, obviously. Obviously. But, um, but yeah, like, don't think that just because you're, you're not getting as messy as that person, your messiness isn't enough for you to say, this is, this, this, this needs to change. Cause I, that's what I felt like. I wasn't, I, I wasn't, the, I didn't take the most amount of drugs out of my friends. I didn't drink the most. I didn't stay up the longest, but it was a problem in my life. Mm, and right. other people were handling it really well. And I was like, well, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm probably fine because they, they're, they're far more problematic than me, but my problems are my problems. That's not their problems. And I'm, they're not my problem. I'm my problem. Yeah. Ooh, I say that word again, problem. Um, <laughs> and, to, and, to, and to affect change, I think it's so exciting that like it's reaching beyond just artists now. Because mm. I think there's like this trendy thing around artists are sober, you can do it. And everyone's like, well, I don't, I'm not an art, I might not be an artist mm. or I don't feel like that. I'm just like a fucking artist liaison or yeah, something. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Or, and that you within your work as a manager are like embedded within the industry in a different way mm. from a different viewpoint. And I think that's really exciting because mm. I think if people can see that the people who are taking care of them are taking care of themselves, that becomes inspiring. Yeah. And that's a completely different message rather than just like, oh, well, it's only for famous people. You know, there's like celebrity rehab or whatever, but it stretches beyond that. It's like for everybody, you know? And I think you're totally right. Like, No, I was going to say it definitely creates a different work dynamic, you know, like to know it. I'm like, are any of my agents sober? (laughs) I don't think any of my agents are sober. Your old manager is. Your old manager is. Yeah. But I think you don't realize how many people are asked how many people are sober until you actually have a like a chat about it you know until you actually vocal about it and then you're like oh yeah actually like 
lots of people don't drink or lots of people are sober curious. But lots of people aren't even aware that it's a problem until somebody else until somebody else points out in their life it's a problem. Like I had people that came to me and said, oh, I've been following your journey for a while and I mm. I think I would like to do what you've done. Like, you know, when I started the course of saying, you know, I, I didn't want to admit I was a problem, but the fact that you said that you it was a problem for you made me feel safer saying it was a problem yeah. for me. Yeah, wow. Or, or, and seeing you out and about and how you probably were and just being like, fucking hell, she's on it. Yeah, or whatever, was, and then seeing that you give yeah, up or whatever. Yeah. And do you know what? It is really nice when you're at a club and, like, everybody's a mess and you're like, oh, I've got it together. I look well professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody else. I remember actually when I first, this is when my first job in music and the guy that I was helping out running parties, it came to the end of the night and we were paying people in cash for whatever reason, like stupid idea, never pay your artists in cash, always, always do a bank transfer. Um, but um, we had to like count out this money and someone came up to me and said, oh, have you seen this guy? And I, like the guy's running it. And I was like, no. And I turned around and there he was in the, in the corner in a ball rocking backs and forwards he's done so much ketamine and I was just like yeah I'm gonna probably have to sort this out and I'd been working for him for like three weeks and it's just like wow wow and actually do you know what when I started working music I actually my drinking my drug habit actually calmed right down because I'd gone from being a messy raver who could get away with whatever she wants on the dance floor to being like towing a more professional line just so I can't can't get like really gurney just can't, like trying to be better it's but a bad look as, as, <laughs> it's not the best of looks no um, but as I went on as I came more comfortable with my job and especially like my artists suddenly you know you just end up being like oh well, I, actually I can just do whatever I want and then it's no longer it was no longer an issue to hold it down it was just like oh well I, I'm, I'm comfortable with this now so it's fine um, but it's obviously it's just not a good look is it it's just a really bad and look. Lou as an artist that like what do you feel like when your manager is taking care of you or somebody who's a promoter is taking care of you and you're just like fucking somebody tell that person to wipe their nose <laughs> i mean it's really it's as a sober person it's kind of upsetting because i'm just like you are not fucking trustworthy at this point mm. and based that may or may not be true but based on who i am what i use i'm so deeply untrustworthy <laughs> and like again like especially if it's a business relationship like management or agent then it's like you know that this is imp- an important thing for me and like, I don't care what you do in your free time, but if you're with me as your artist at a, at a club space or like we're at work and you're doing fucking drugs, like fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you especially know, if you're not... sober, you know, yeah, it's, it's, totally. it's, it's, it's different. Like if you've got like, I mean, I've never actually after partied with any of my artists because I'm just like, that's just too uncomfortable. Like sitting in a green room, but I'm just like, because there is a, a sense of professional duty to them and and also, I don't want them to start asking me. I'm a very honest person, and they start asking me questions, especially if I've like had a drink, and uh, and they start asking me about the business. And I'm like, blah 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 blah. It's like, no, shut up. Self preservation. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, not coming to your after party. But if, if, if someone's sober, for them, to, for the person that's that's supposed to be part of your team to turn up smashed or to get really smashed and get, and let's be honest, there's not many people that aren't embarrassing when they're pissed or when they're fucked. Like, the, Especially like, if you're mm-hmm. sober. If everyone's yeah. pissed, then no one I mean, cares. Uh, yeah, if, totally. person, yeah. like, if you're judging sober, judge <laughs> yeah, like if you're sober and the person look after you, it's just like, even just talking, going on and on and chatting shit, and you're like, oh, shut up. You told me the oh story like five times, you know? <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I remember, yeah, being in a club and, like, the, the promoter was too fucks just to even, like, get me a car. And I'm just like, come on. Like, get your um, shit together. It's yeah. your party. Yeah. This is your job. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but then promoters, some promoters <laughs> think 
you know, their party, they can get as much as they like. And it's like, no, that's the... This absolute, isn't a wedding. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. What are you it's doing? Like, if you, you want to take a... Sh- go into wedding yeah. entertainment. <laughs> I always, like, if I wanted to go out and have, like, a really good night out, I would actually always buy a ticket to the event. I'd never get guest lists and I would go with my oh, mates. Nice. So I could go without feeling like obligated. Oh, if I got guests, I'd, I'd feel like obligated yeah. to go and say hello and like go and say thank Fuck you to yeah. the promoter. So I'd just be like, I'm just going to buy a ticket and I'm just going to go and I'm just going to be like a, a civilian for the day and not go behind the deck. Fuck yes, I love and that. And also, do you know what? Like there's only so much fun you can have behind the decks. Like it's not that good. It looks better <laughs> than, unless you're DJing obviously, but like, you know, it looks more fun than it is. It's actually really dumb. Like loads more fun happens <laughs> the other side of the deck. Like, trust There's me, no loads. To dance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah. you know, standing there going, like dancing away, like you know, doing a like fist pump. Like that's not fun. Like no, want to lose your shit. Yeah. It's not the place to no, be, is it? No, no, like no. to so, get down and let go. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But sober people love to have like a job in the club. Like I'm yeah. rose in my part. <laughs> they come out and they're not like no one's no one's drinking no one's like they're like bouncers <laughs> yeah. you're like I, mean, I have a fucking mission yeah <laughs> i have a job to do yeah, yeah. i don't know what else to do anymore yeah. 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 <laughs> my job is oh. dance yeah <laughs> yeah so we're gonna Amazing. pivot into the lightning round so okay. don't think just let the answers flow what's your favorite workout or exercise Oh, burpees. And I know everyone's going to kill me for this, but I fucking love a burpee. You're insane. I love a burpee. Just I love a burpee. Sorry, guys. <laughs> never get booked for being a personal trainer ever again. I'm like, never going to her. But I yeah, mean, I effective is great. <laughs> oh, it works. And I, I'm really good at them. So I love showing off as well. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> Though we don't believe pleasure is something to be guilty about, is there anything you would describe as your guilty pleasure? Oh, I have so so many and I and I actually also just be like it's not guilty like I am the biggest take that fan ever so take that uh, I mean <gasps> oh this goes with the Denise Van Elton era like I have been to see take that more times than any artist ever like this is the best thing uh, I've ever heard I love it. this is amazing so my husband is also friends with one of the members of take that and when he gets on the phone with him I'm literally like <gasps> Oh my god! And he actually, when 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 we were first getting together, he was like, "Oh yeah, so I've got Howard coming in the studio tomorrow." And this, so this was like we'd we'd shagged like once, and I was like, "What?" And I was like, "Okay, so we're going to devise a story that I'm your housemate, and you've forgotten your laptop charger, so I have to go to the studio and drop off your laptop charger." And we had a whole script. Like I was like, mention about my cooking in case Howard's looking for a new girlfriend. And like, you know, I could, I like, <laughs> and then when I got to the studio to give him his laptop charger, I literally just went like, I, I'm actually, my heart's beating faster now just thinking about it. Oh, like, cause I'm literally that obsessed Howard with as well. He's like not the one people are usually getting their heart rate no, up for. I mean, but Howard, me? if you're listening, Sorry, Howard. But, but when I got there, like, so I rang, I rang my husband. My well, he wasn't even; he was just my mate then. And I was like, "So, um, do you want anything from the shop?" And he's like, "Howard would like I go Twix and a Diet Coke." And I was like, "Oh, oh my god, oh, I'm so excited!" <laughs> so I bought the Twix and the Diet Coke, and then I got into the studio, and I literally couldn't breathe. I was so excited, and like li- threw the the Twix and the Diet Coke at him. He's like, "Do you want some money?" I was like, "No, it's fine." And then he's like, "Do you want to stay for pizza?" And I was like, "No," and just ran out again. And I was <laughs> like. What have I done? I had the opportunity to sit with Howard Donald and have pizza. And I just ran away. Oh. And Neil at the time was like, you're such a dick. I was like, I know, I know. But now we're married, so maybe, 
maybe I wasn't such a dick. But yeah, that is my, yeah. that is my like most unguilty guilty pleasure, and I literally I will listen that. to take that any given opportunity. And I yeah, I love them. Oh, love what's them. your favorite Take That song? Oh, Relight My Fire, or It Only Takes <gasps> oh, a Minute. I love that song. Or, it only takes a minute. Or Never Forget, because at the concerts it's always like going oh, yeah. off. And honestly, yeah. when I'm at the concerts, I am um, like, I cry. I have to be held down. Like, I just, <laughs> oh, heck, heck. like, it's not pretty in any way, but it is the most fun ever. Oh. I'm like, how is it over? I just want to meet them again. Ooh, get rid this of is them. amazing. Yeah. I'm so excited to learn this about you. <laughs> It was fucking brilliant. That was such a shameless guilty pleasure. Oh, <laughs> there's no shame. No shame. Utter, utter just pleasure. Yeah, it's um, total and utter pleasure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> what was the last book that you read or series that you watched and loved? Oh, um, series The Serpent, which is amazing. Uh, it's about it's uh, it's a yeah a serial killer in Thailand in the 1970s. Fashions are great. Well, murder mystery. Um, and book, oh my God, Why We Sleep. I think his name is Matthew, I can't remember, but it's all about why we sleep and it's the scariest thing in the world because it's like, if you miss a night of sleep and it tells you about, you know, how much you're hurting your brain, it's like, oh my God, you read it when you go to bed and you're just like, I'm going to sleep, <laughs> good night. It scares you <laughs> into going to sleep. Um, terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, but there's another book that I read recently that I can't remember the name of. Um, I actually love, love, love reading. Um, and my husband bought me a Kindle, but I can only read fiction on my Kindle. I can't read nonfiction. So I like Same. to go back and like mark pages and like like reference stuff and go back and forth. And um, I can't do that. But then I do like a good trashy novel just for like reading in the bar. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan I know, of the old I know trash. What the, so Johan Hari, Chasing the Scream. And um, where is this one? Where is it? It's down here somewhere. But um, uh I can't remember, but Chasing the Scream is the history of drugs, like uh, why we have a war on drugs. It's super interesting, like super interesting. I'm not going to talk about it now. We will literally be here for another hour, but um, recommend it massively. There's actually a film being made of it because it's all about a big part of the book is about Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday. Mm. And there's a film being made out about it, made about it, but it's only available in the US. So I do watch it. But yes, Chasing the Scream. Wicked. Thank you so much. What turns you on? Oh, oh, my husband. Oh, he does. He <laughs> Such does. Such a wholesome I, answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Like, I'm boring now, aren't I? No, boring it's beautiful. It's Not at beautiful. All. Like from the second I met him, and if he walks through this door now, I'll just be like, Oh my god, I fancy you so much. Like he's, <laughs> he's delicious. He is just delicious. He's one of the nicest, he, or possibly the nicest human I've ever met in my entire life. I feel so lucky. I had to. I chased him down as well. I met him and I was like, yeah. yeah. And he was like, no, thanks. And I was like, nope, you haven't got a choice. It's you. <laughs> um, so, yes, my husband. Aww. Beautiful. Beautiful. And what is the song that pumps you up? Oh, do you know what? Other than take that. <laughs> oh, yeah, not allowed to take that. So, um, oh, it's heaven. And I can't remember who the artist is, but they're playing it. It's affected in Croatia. And I really can't wait to go and see them. And the, it's, um, I've just actually done a mix for my, for the first, I've, I learned to DJ from my husband's wedding, uh, from my husband's wedding, my wedding, and my husband's wedding. Um, but I learned to DJ, yeah. but I learned to DJ to surprise him and I did, but I've, I've DJed like twice before in my entire life, twice since then in my entire life. But my friends asked me if I could do a mix for their mix series. I was like, oh, 
yeah okay and it actually just went out yesterday congratulations thanks I'm so proud of myself I mean it's a solid six out of ten at best like the mixing is not great Uh, my husband was like yeah that's all right I think you're gonna get away with it but um, all my (laughs) favorite tunes on there Mike Dunn like I represent him and his tunes are always oh so good I love him so um, that's the long answer there's been lots of long answers today haven't there sorry we love it. No, brilliant. <laughs> Louisa, can I just put something into your head, though? Can you imagine if Seb surprised you <laughs> with learning to DJ, how fucking weird that would be? We have such opposite musical tastes. Although, so remember, different. my birthday, so he different. did learn how to karaoke Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man, and it was oh, yeah, amazing. That was beautiful. <laughs> it was so hot. I was just like, very Seb. Hot. I was like, wow. Amazing. This is in front yeah. of people. Are you aware that there are other people yeah. here? This is so hot. Yeah. <laughs> it was really hot. It was like really like fucking understated and cool as well. And I was like, oh my God. Amazing. That's yeah. Oh, that's so cute as well. Effort. Yeah. I just love effort. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Effort, effort is great, isn't it? <laughs> Although I will say, like, I might. A couple of exes ago, I like gone out with this guy for five years and there was like this moment where our relationship was really fucked and he showed up and like had written this song no. and then went in the garage and played it. And I literally <laughs> just like was like, what are you, this needs to stop. Like my whole skin was cooling. And I was like, <laughs> that is not the effort. Yeah. At that point, when, when it's too late, the effort is cringy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Effort you know I mean? when you're really in love with that person is amazing. Effort yeah. when you don't, you're like, you're being a stalker, fuck off. Like, <laughs> like get out of I'm this so garage sorry. this is terrible this is the worst thing I've ever seen yeah <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah I mean I don't know I think if Neil serenaded me I mean like oh, I would just be like you can stop now it's fine thank you very much it's yeah. weird where do you <laughs> thank you I get the gesture where do you put your eyes appreciate yeah. it but no it's a no yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't look at you while you do this yeah this is, this is more embarrassing for you than it is me but still I can't look at you yeah. but that's also how I feel about like album, album listening parties like if I have to present my work to anybody and we're all like there listening <laughs> this pre-recorded thing. I'm just like this is the worst moment of my entire life oh, <laughs> like please don't look in my direction <laughs> yeah. I do know I do I can understand how that it would be it's just like it's like listening to vo- back to your voice and like a, a voice you know like a voice that would be like oh no I don't like listen to that so much but, melt sound <laughs> yeah and especially you know if you've made something you're super proud of it and then you're like gonna get judged by people and ultimately that's what they're doing you're like I just like to explain this but I just like to it's like <laughs> Yeah. Let it play. It's really good. And you keep up to remind yourself, it's really good. It's really good. Like, it's, it's a demo yeah. vocal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mean it. Change it if you want. Like, I don't mind. <laughs> this is what it is to be a woman. Yeah. Uh, we're like, so sorry for existing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and finally, where can we find you and the Six Zero Experiment on the World Wide Web? Okay, so uh, I have a website and it's uh, theothersideoffear.co.uk because oh, very good all the good name. shit happens on I'm the other side so of fear. I'm writing so much down. I'm becoming your stalker. Oh, please do, please do. <laughs> um, and my Instagram, which is where I post what I think is very interesting, obviously influential things. Um, <laughs> I am Joanna Barber and we're doing the 6-0 experiment, which is in January. We're in day 15 of the 2-0 experiment, which is in May. And then there's going to be a 4-0 experiment in October so um, if you did them all together you're going to be sober for at least a quarter of a third of the year I believe it is I think a third of the year so you should join it for all of them guys fantastic um, everyone everyone's sober curious sign up